another episode of All Stars of Turf. My guest today is John Carlone, CGCS at Meadowbrook Club in Jericho, New York, which is in Nassau County, Long Island. Welcome, John. Thank you, Peter. I wanted to frame this this conversation about your career. Um, You know, some guys make their mark in the business on hosting major tournaments and pushing the agronomic envelope and that kind of thing. You have survived and thrived for a long time uh, in a very tough market. I have. You know, there's an old adage that if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And uh, that's not limited to New York City. I think Long Island's one of the toughest places um, for a lot of different reasons, particularly in golf, I think, because there are a lot of golf courses, many of them butt right up against another one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money. Uh, a lot of golfers belong to more than one club, so there's a lot of comparison and all that kind of stuff. But uh, when I first met you, you were not at Meadowbrook. You were at uh, Middle Bay Country Club on the South Shore. Right. You were there how long? 11 years. Really? I didn't realize you were there that long. 1985 to 96. Yeah, 11 years. I think it was 87 when we met. Um, Yeah. Back when I was in the ironmongering days. Yeah, but you were introduced to me as a good guy. And I appreciate that because you were one of the first uh, to um, take the plunge and become a charter TurfNet member out on Long Island. And you've been one ever since. So that's been almost 30 years. Yep. Um, just a little background. I know you went to URI, University of Rhode Island. Right. How'd you get, or how'd you decide to get into turf? I know you're a good golfer or passionate golfer anyway. That was probably the the biggest reason, Pete. My dad was a florist. We had a greenhouse on the property when I was a kid. We used to raise chrysanthemums. So I kind of got my hands dirty, a little bit of a green thumb. And then he taught me how to play golf at 11 years old. And I got pretty proficient at it and got good. When I went to the University of Rhode Island, my original major was forestry. I had dreams of being a park ranger. Uh, working out in Yosemite and something like that. But when I realized that back then, 1979 to 83, uh, park rangers made about 18 grand a year. So I said, yeah, I think I better try something else. And I was on the golf team. I met Doc Scogley. I met Dr. Jackson. And they said, what a perfect marriage. You're on the golf team. Why don't you try turf management? So that was 1980 or 81. And I did a, 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 the placement student training at West. That's what they called it back then. Placement student training at Westchester country club. And uh, Ted Horton was the superintendent back then. And that was my first experience of getting out of Rhode Island and, and, uh, and getting to New York and the, the big Apple golf courses, so to speak. And they hosted the, uh, back then it was called the manufacturers Hanover Westchester classic. So mm-hmm. I got a little bit of a taste for hosting a tournament golf. And, and then the, uh, I graduated in 83 and immediately went to work for Scott and Ivan at the Sandwich Club. I mean, I, I think we, I actually worked for two weeks and went home to graduate and came back. So oh. it, was, it was all work and not much play back then. But uh, anyway, that's, that was the early days. And then I, I worked for Scott from 
May of 83 to November of 85. And that's when I, November 13th of 85 was the day I started it at Middle Bay. Well, you certainly had a good pedigree with uh, Ted Horton and Scott and Ivan on your, uh, on your right. resume. Just back to URI for a second. Um, <laughs> one of your roommates was uh, none other than Frank Rossi. That's correct. Yeah. Correct. I, my and, senior year, his junior year, we shared a house together with three other fellas. And uh, Frank and I were the only turf majors. Everybody else was in business or engineering. And and uh, we're all still pretty close, but most of us stay in touch. We still talk. And of course, Frank and I are, are close. We stay in touch a lot. So it was uh, certainly different back well, then. We'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that and not dig too too deeply into that Good, good, uh, good question. But uh, so you were at Meadow or at Middle Bay for 11 years. Um, right. And then you, so that's on the south shore of Long Island. And then you took the job at Meadowbrook Club, which is on the north shore. Now you're what, 20 miles outside yeah. Manhattan? As the, crow, as the crow flies, 17 miles, driving 20 miles. Yeah, that's all, that's yeah. all they were apart. And I recall at the time, that you took that job uh, with a little bit of a discount on your salary and package with the promise that there was more coming. That's correct. Uh, there was a lot of, there's a lot of uh, other factors that play there. Number one, I knew Middle Bay was not long for this world. They didn't own the property they were on, they leased it and they had to pay the taxes on that land. So, and back in 96, before I got $1 to maintain the golf course, they had over $400,000 to pay out in lease and, and taxes. So I knew things were going to struggle there uh, in, in the future. So I knew it was time for me to make a move in that sense. Um, I owned a very small house on Long Island at the time my family was growing. My, our third child was born in 95. So, and in 96, the house I was in was too small. Meadowbrook had a beautiful house on the property that was just perfect in the Jericho school district that was the number one school district in New York state at the time. And I think number 19 in the country. So it was a very good school district. So those other factors really worked into my desire to go there. Uh, and at the time, yes, I was hired with a, a, a the adage where, Hey, you got to show us what you can do first before we take care of you. And I did and they did eventually take care of me. I probably waited a little bit longer than I wanted to, but it's okay, it all worked out. Now, part of that process, and I think, uh, again, reflecting back on our um, friendship over the years, you played for, <laughs> you played on our hockey team for a couple <laughs> of years, right? It was yeah, two years? Yeah, two years. Yeah, and um, I think you might've been my roomie one year out there, but we had a lot of time to talk and, um, you had mentioned, I think, that uh, you had built a relationship with a club official who yep. really went to bat for you um, and helped sort of cement the uh, or create the package that ultimately um, right. led to you staying there for whatever it is now. Uh, how many years? Uh, 26 years here. 26 years, yeah. So I, I did, Peter. What happened is... Uh, we had a senior tour event at Meadowbrook, which was another appealing factor for me applying for the job. I had hosted that uh, Westchester 
manufacturers, Hanover, Westchester Classic at, at, at the Westchester Country Club with Ted. I worked at that. It kind of whet my appetite for maybe hosting something else. And the senior tour, Meadowbrook was the only place in Long Island that hosted a senior tour event. So that was another factor that made me apply for the job and, and, and be happy to get it. But after this, after 2002 was the last event I hosted. I hosted six years, 97 to 02. And we experienced some vandalism that last year that soured the club a little bit to hosting a senior tour event. It had kind of run its course by then. They had hosted it for 16 years. So they let the contract expire and they did not renew it. So we were gonna go forward with no senior tour event, which means which meant financial changes. So from going, from going to doing a, a senior tour event and maybe eight outings to no senior tour event and as many outings as we could. So the, the life changed there a little bit. And in the meantime, they, they kind of wage freeze me. So in, in 2003, four and five, I kind of got a wage freeze. And then, in, but fortunately in January 1st, 2005, I got a new green chairman. And during that year, I went to him and said, I just laid the facts on the line. I'm, I'm being paid less than a lot of my peers in the area and I've gotten nothing. I've been flat for three years. So we need to talk. This is what I'm looking for. And he didn't get me there all at once, but over a three year period, he got me to where I wanted to be, which put me uh, somewhat still maybe a little bit below some of my peers, but it's certainly up where I thought I should be for how many years I'd been around and being in Long Island, so on and so forth. So yeah, he, he did. He was a, and he's still a great ally. In fact, I just went to his retirement party at the uh, rainbow room at the top of the Rockefeller center plaza. On really? He retired. And uh, my pro and I were the only two golf people there. Everybody else was oh. business associates of his. So we're, we're, we're still kind of close. We talk a lot. When he was my chairman, we, we spoke once or twice a day. He's just a really cool guy. I've learned a lot from him. Uh, he's younger than me. He's a year younger than me, which is kind of interesting. You know, he always, in this business, we were always, I was always the younger, looking up to my peers. And, sure. and right around then, in 05, I, the shift started. All of a sudden, now my chairman's 11 years younger than me. Wow. And, and a lot of the members are younger than me. And the, the members that were here 25 years ago when I started, very few of them are left, you know, maybe 20. The rest mm -hmm. of them have retired to Florida or passed away or just stopped playing golf. So at times you kind of watch the scales go like this to being the younger guy to now the older guy. So, but yes, that was my relationship with the, that club official. With it. It's still what? going to this day. And uh, no matter, so no matter how you slice it and dice it, your package beat the hell out of being a forest ranger. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it certainly did. So if you had to sort of distill down the, the 40 years or whatever that you've been on Long Island, um, what would you come up with as some keys to your success? Well, I, I, there's... I thought about this before we talked, and there's, there's two or three things that are supremely important. Number one is your wife and family. You've got to have an understanding wife that is cool with you putting in the hours we have to put in to be successful in this business. And there is absolutely no substitute for that. You have to put in the time. Uh, I've seen a lot of superintendents come and go that tried to manage it uh, by calling in to their assistant or something like that. It, it doesn't work. So you have to have a, a support of an understanding family. Number two is you've got to show up at work every morning. There's no substitute. I don't care how long you've been a superintendent. 
you know, I responded to your email at 5 a.m. this morning. It's, you know, October 26th or whatever it is. And it's just, that's the nature of the beast. It's the job we've chosen. It's the profession we've chosen. There's no substitute for being there every morning. I got back. I got back to you at five fifteen too. I exactly, exactly. <laughs> I saw that. So, I, I you know. Listen, do I do that in December, January, February, and half of March? Absolutely not. And I'm not saying you should. Uh, I I take my time off where I can, but I'm here paying attention where I need to be. So I think that's been, I think that's been a key to my success is just not mailing it in and not trying to, uh, you know give a list to an assistant, let him take it over while I stay in bed. I just, I, that never appealed to me. I wanted to be there. And, you know, I, I still enjoy being a superintendent. That's, that's probably the third thing I would say. I still enjoy seeing the fruits of my labor when the, when the greens are good. I just hosted the chief's cup on, uh, on Monday of this week. The chief's cup is a 25 year event on Long Island where superintendents from Nassau play superintendents from Suffolk. Huh. And and uh, it's a mini Ryder Cup thing. You play six holes scramble, six holes best ball, six holes uh, individual match. And I really got geared up for it. The whole, the whole week leading up to it, I was making sure the greens were primo for that day and making sure the place was, yeah. was trimmed and neat. And, you know, I, I enjoy having your peers here to, 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 to look at the place. So enjoying it, having a supporting a supportive family, and just, just basically the, what I said about going to work every morning, doing your job. You know, you just, you can't mail it in. You can't hide the golf course. The members are going to see it every day and little things like that. It's the little things being attention to detail, showing up for work every day. Um, just, there's no substitute for that. You can't fake it. That's the one thing I, I would say to a young superintendent is you can't fake it. If you think you can not be there and have somebody else do it, it's not going to work. The staff is not going to respond the same way. They're not going to work the same way. So it's it's simple as that. I don't I don't mean to make it sound so simple, but it really is. It's having a supportive wife and family, number one, showing up for work every day, and uh, attention to detail, just taking care of the little things. So Pete, another thing to uh, having a long career is having a good assistant. I've been very fortunate to have seven of my former assistants go on to become superintendents. They're all still superintendents now, and uh, they all did a great job for me and, and helped me get through day to day. I have a current assistant that I expect to join those seven very soon as well. So another key item to having a long career. Good. How long do you typically keep your uh, assistants until they're ready? I guess is the, yeah, I've had until they're ready or until a, a job that fits them opens up. I think that to, to just push an assistant out to get a job when it's the wrong job is not the right thing to do for their career. So I've had assistants uh, get a superintendent's job in as little as three years. And I had one take 10 years for, really? for, for a good job. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't just push them out to take any job. I try to get them in a good, solid job that they'll be at for a while. Uh, I think that three to five years is perfect. I think that you've done as much for each other as you can do in three to five years, maybe six years. Obviously, the one I had for 10 years was an anomaly. That wasn't, wasn't the norm. Uh, and yeah. even, if, even if what I tell assistants when I hire them is if I can't help you get a job in somewhere between three and five or three and six years, then maybe you should go be an assistant somewhere else one more step because I'm not doing the right thing for you. I just, you know, I'd, I'd rather help you get a, a superintendent's job by going to work at a really big name club for a couple of years where that'll push you over the edge rather than just hang on to you for selfish reasons right. to make life easier. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So how, how'd you make it through this whole COVID thing with staffing and turf conditions and all that kind of stuff? 
it wasn't easy, Peter. COVID was something nobody had been through before, and we kind of had to make it up as we went. Uh, but I will say this, I suffered a little bit. I had a, a, one of my poorer years, and I'd, I'd like to say that I've never had a bad year, but I've had some years that are better than others. Uh, it was not a great year from because of social distancing. I, at some point in the year, I only had eight people on staff, and uh, I worked harder than ever that year. I never missed a day, but I was working with both the staff, and we're social distancing, and we're, we're touch point cleaning everything, because nobody knew back then what was going on. So we all tried to do what we were being told to do. So, so you suffered agronomically. Right, right. I suffered agronomically that year uh, due to lack of staff and, you know, the weather away was pretty hot year. 2020 was pretty hot. And uh, it was, you know, I was, I was uh, dividing my staff in half and half was working Monday, Wednesday, Friday, half was working Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And then they were alternating Sundays. Each, each team would alternate Sundays. So mm -hmm. for, the, for most of the year, I only had half staff. So I suffered agronomically a little bit. And mm -hmm. That year was a little bit difficult because in November, I was asked to provide my green committee with a report on what it would take to keep Meadowbrook in Sunday U.S. Open condition all the time because the members were disappointed with the condition that year. So I did that and I, I gave the report. Sunday the U.S. Open? Year round. Yeah, Sunday U.S. <laughs> Open, which is unattainable. We all know that. Of course. And I kind of said that to him, but I said, listen, if you want to take Meadowbrook up a notch, this is what it's going to be. And at the time, my budget was 1.8 million. When everybody around me was at 2.4, 2.5, I was always six or 700,000 below my neighbors because Meadowbrook was only a golf club. We didn't have a pool. We didn't have tennis. We didn't serve dinners. It was a third or fourth club for members. So they all believed it should be cheaper, but they wanted the same conditions as everybody else. So it was always a difficult job in that sense. So at that committee meeting, when I presented that report and said, you know, our budget should be about 2.7, I got a lot of blank stares and a lot of funny looks. And I could tell that they weren't listening to me. So I said, listen, guys, if you don't want to listen to me, let's hire a consultant. And I know that some superintendents that hear this may say, oh, consultant, what, you, you know everything. Why do you have to have a consultant? And that's true. I know what I was doing. The consultant knew I knew what I was doing, but the members didn't believe it. And now it was all new members. It wasn't the people that hired me. It was a new committee. It was young. They're all younger than me. They're all good players. So they thought I was missing something. So the consultant basically told them the same thing I told them. I told them in 12 pages. He told them in 24. And now that they paid for advice, they had to do what he said. So it got my budget raised $400,000 in two years. It got me a half million dollars or more of new equipment. Uh, it at least got a new irrigation system, but my irrigation system is 27 years old. So at least it put in their mind, oh, yeah, John really does need a new irrigation system. We really need to do this. We've got to put this on the on the plan for our future. So my, my point of all this is if a, if a superintendent, you get a little trouble, humble yourself and bring in some experts that will help you. It might not, it might help you agronomically because maybe you'll find out we don't know everything. And I've learned. I've learned a lot from my consultant. I don't want to mention his name. I don't want to pr promote anybody here. but. I've learned a lot from him and, and, and maybe uh, it'll help you keep your job because as, as a younger superintendent coming up, I would hear this happen to older superintendents who would get resistant. We would get resistant to the consultant and say, I don't need that. And they would get fired. Those guys would get fired and they'd get a new guy in there who would get everything the old guy asked for. Sure. So that, that was a, a learning, a good learning experience. I think I handled it very well by just humbling myself and letting, you know, I, I didn't make them hire the consultant. I offered it. So I kind of got to pick the one I wanted and they approved them, of course. And it's been a home run. It's, it's, it's got my budget raised. It's got me new equipment and it's helped make the course better, which is what they wanted. 
And sure. so what? It wasn't my idea. It's uh, it, 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 the consultant had to help a little bit. But I think if you embrace that and humble yourself, uh, you, you can have a long career. I think that's part of having a long career, just humbling yourself and embracing sure. help, not resisting so, it. So was that a one-shot deal or do you have an ongoing relationship? With ongoing him? relationship. It's a yearly yearly uh, relationship with several visits per year. And and uh, it's, it's probably going probably gonna to go as long as I'm here. You know, a lot of the guys watching this, when they hear, oh, I've only got a $1.8 million budget for eight, for 18 holes, right? <laughs> yeah. They're going to scratch their head and say, Jesus, what is this, you know? <laughs> well, they're not in Long Island. <laughs> well, that's for sure. And that's they're part of uh, paying, you know, 18 to $26 an hour and, and, and more than that. So that's there's a reason for that. Sure, sure. I would, uh, not to go back to uh, why I got here, but there's another Another interesting point to mention to other superintendents, housing on the golf course. I know some approximately 25% of the clubs in the country offer housing for their superintendent. I am I loved it. Growing up with the kids growing up, I never missed any meals at home. I, ne- I, I got to put them on the bus in the morning, take them off the bus in the afternoon. The high school and the grammar school that they went to were only a mile away each time. So I never missed anything that was going on at school. I could, if something started at five, I could work until quarter of and still get there if I had to. It's obvious that you have not lost the fire in your belly, which is huge. Right, right. I haven't lost it yet. I mean, it's waned a little bit, but I haven't lost it yet. I still enjoy it. And uh, it's not, it's a much more of a challenge than it used to be between having a more demanding membership, the, the members now at every private club in Long Island, yeah. which, which, by the way, I wanted to comment on your, your comment before about courses being back-to-back. On Long Island, we also have eight top 100 clubs. So the members are a little bit spoiled playing top 100 clubs quite often. So although I still have a fire in the belly, I still love it. It's more challenging than it's ever been. Sure. Let's talk about that stuff on the wall behind you there for a minute. Uh, You have two sons and a daughter. Yes. I believe the daughter has supplied you with three grandchildren, correct? That's that's correct. Yeah, I have uh, Savannah is almost five. She'll be five in January. And then Cassidy is just turned two in August. And little Tyler John, I got a middle name named after me. All right. It's going to be two months old, November 5th. Awesome. I can't wait to get a golf club in his hand and my girl's hands. I want to get a golf club in my granddaughter's hands, too. Cool. And your two sons, um, which I first found out about by following you on Twitter, they both uh, went into the military, into the Army. Right. So my, my youngest son went first. He went to St. Anthony's High School here on Long Island. And he played football. He was captain of the, of the team. One of the captains. This is of the team, Dan, correct? This is Dan. This is Daniel, yeah. Uh, he was captain of the football team his senior year, one of the captains. And he got recruited uh, by some schools to play football. And West Point was one of the schools that recruited him. Uh, I'll never forget in July of 2012, going to West Point for a visit with him. And the recruiting coach took us around the campus in a golf cart. And Dan was sitting in the front. And I was sitting in the back of the golf cart. And the coach said he was the offensive line coach, but his recruiting responsibility was Long Island. And he said to Dan, I'm going to be very clear with you. Do not come to West Point to play football. You come to West Point because you want to lead men into battle. I sat in the back seat. I'm like, what? No, (laughs) it was was an eye opener for me, but he visited some other schools. He was recruited by a couple other schools, but he chose West Point. He got to uh, his freshman year at the Academy with a plea beer, they call it. And uh, he tore his meniscus in his left knee and they threw him back in in six weeks. Sure. But anyway, he, uh, the coach, here's, here's the point of this whole story. When the coach called him in and told him he was going to cut him from the team, he said, I'll write a letter to any school in the country and get you on the football team. 
But my son looked at him and said, are you kidding me, coach? Football was my ticket into West Point. I'm not leaving. <laughs> so he stayed. He graduated from the academy and uh, was commissioned an officer in 2018. He graduated. and Now he's a captain and uh, he's stationed in Naperville, Illinois. He's a commander. When you're a captain, you get a small command. He has 37 or 38 guys under him at a recruit recruiting station just outside of Chicago. But he's probably going to get out of the Army in, in January 2024. His time will be up, and he'll have paid back his time at West Point, and uh, he'll probably get out of the Army. So then David, my older son, who's 30, uh, Danny's 27, David's 30, he graduated from, from Hofstra uh, with a degree in film studies, and he wanted to be a comedian. He did, he's done stand-up in Long Island <laughs> several times. You can, you can Google his films, davidcarlonefilms.com. He's got a couple of films on there that he's made short films, little 20-minute things. He, he's been in a couple of episodes of Law & Order and CSI. He was in a movie called uh, Win Win with, with uh, Giamatti. Uh, I can't remember his first name. Bart Giamatti is his father, was the commissioner of NFL baseball. Uh, never a speaking part. He never joined any unions, but he had background extra roles. And he, so he graduated. He was going on auditions. He was doing his stand-up. And he went on an audition in June of 2019, and he came home. I said, how'd the audition go? And he said, uh, really good, but I joined the Army. <laughs> That's just how it was. Kind of yeah. shocked us all. And he went to OCS. So he joined the Army. He went to OCS. He was supposed to leave in March of 2020, right when the- That's Officer's Candidate School, correct? Correct. Officer Candidate School is OCS, right. So and then he was commissioned in March of 2021. So he just became a first lieutenant in- September, September 19th of 2022. He's now a first lieutenant. He's stationed at Fort Campbell in Kentucky. And he, he's a signal officer. Danny was an infantry officer. David is a signal officer. His specialty is communications, computers. Like the best part about that is he's got some cybersecurity clearance that he's had to go through. So when he gets out, which I don't know when that'll be, I think he'll be a sought after individual with his, with his computer and, and security, cybersecurity skills. So, but neither of them plan to be career army. I don't think so. At this point, I don't think so. No, I think they're they're both going to serve their time and get out. Right. Uh, I'm sorry for going on and on about that. That's all right. You're passionate about it. That's cool. I'm a proud dad of those two boys. That's good. So tell me about the tell us about the stuff on the wall. So uh, the top thing uh, that you see up there is the saber that my son Dan was issued at West Point that every cadet gets issued. And they use that for their marching when they're in parade, parade dress. They don't use it after they graduate. So Dan put it in that nice frame you see up there and, and gave it to me as a gift for helping him get through West Point. One of my favorite sayings to him was just get through it. All the trials and tribulations you go through at West Point, you know, having, from having to do push-ups to getting hours to the, the rigorous academics. And he'd call and talk. and I'd say, you just get through it, man. You got to get the other side of it. So he put a little plaque on there that says, thanks, Dad. Just get through it. Uh, and then right below that is his ranger school graduation. He's an airborne ranger. He went to uh, the ranger school at Fort Benning in Georgia. Pictures there are David graduating from basic training and David graduating from air assault school. So they both jump out of helicopters and planes. They're both airborne. They both have had several jumps out of helicopters and planes. You had the opportunity to go to the masters with them this yeah. year, correct? How was that? Yep. I have to thank my friends at Rainbird for getting me a tickets for uh, the uh, practice round on Monday. And it, it just worked out perfectly where my son, Dan, was at Triple C, which is uh, the captain's career course. Every first lieutenant who wants to promote to captain has to go through this six-month course at Fort Benning. So he was right there at Benning. 
And my son David was at Fort Campbell, which is near Clarksville, Tennessee, about 60 miles west of Nashville. So it was about a five hour drive for him. So it just worked out where they were close enough. I got the tickets. I flew down to Atlanta. We stayed at the Atlanta airport, rented a car, went to the Masters for the day, drove back. And I flew home that night and they drove back to, to Fort Benning and to Clarksville. So it was a, who knows if it'll ever happen again where it works out just perfectly like that. Sure. It was great. Great time. We walked the whole golf course. We got uh, pimento and cheese sandwiches. <laughs> All that. Yeah, I went to the master to the uh, practice round one year also. Way back. It was a great experience and uh, certainly a highlight for me and my boys. Sure. Awesome. So there was no inclination for them to go into turf. Uh, no, they both caddied. I made them both caddied and, uh, when they were here at Meadowbrook, and uh, I gave them strict instructions to never tell anybody who they were unless they were asked. I didn't want them to lie, but if somebody <laughs> asked you, you tell them who you are and where you live. But I didn't want them getting any special treatment because they were the superintendent's son or anything like that. And uh, believe it or not, my son David, the older one, he caddied for about three years before anybody asked him, and he had to tell anybody who he was. Really? <laughs> so, and uh, Danny didn't do it quite as long because – you know, at 17, he was at prep school at West Point, so he didn't do it quite as long as David did. But, uh, yeah, they, they both kind of – they both worked for me as well. Uh, you know, they taught him how to cut tees and greens and uh, the collars and approaches and rake traps and, and uh, do intermediate rough and stuff like that. So they – it fills divots, of course. So they both got a taste of it. And at one time, you know, they both liked it and said, wow, this would be cool for a career. But I, I didn't feel the inclination to steer them into it and take them under my wing and put them into it. So for, I'll give you an example, Pete. Here's how I can explain it. A young superintendent on Long Island hosted a meeting about five years ago. And after the meeting, we're in the clubhouse having drinks and dinner. And he came up to me, he goes, John, how long have you been a superintendent? At the time, it was 32 years. And he goes, oh, my God, I'm in my fourth year and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I can't take it anymore. How'd you do it so long? And I told him that I, I was able to do it so long because my first 20 years were fun. It was a blast. I had a lot of friends in the industry. I played golf a lot. There wasn't a pressure. We were cutting greens at my first year, cutting greens at 145. Now I'm cutting greens at 090. So there wasn't the weekend watering. It wasn't as intense as it is now. Maybe we're our own worst enemies for doing that. So when I thought about all that and what I said to him, I said, do I really want to teach my kids to go through this when there's other ways to make a living? And uh, so I, I never really pushed them into it. If they wanted to, I would have let them. If they really forced me into it, I would have said, come on, I'll teach you. But I, I didn't feel the inclination to, to push them into it. And when they kind of let it slide and, and went away from it, I was fine with it. So. so after 40 years in the business, 41 now, I think, uh, what's next for John Carlone? Well, I, I probably am going to work three to five more years. I'm 61 now. I'm probably going to work three to five more years. Uh, I, I think I told you before we uh, came on here that my mother passed away in July at 95 years old. So I have a house in Rhode Island that is sitting there empty right now with some, some land associated with it. I've hired an engineer. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of subdividing the land so I can sell some of it, rebuild my mother's house and retire to that house. Nice. And then there's a house next door. There's, there's five individual house lots there. I want to sell three of them, rebuild my mother's lot. And the other lot is where my sister lives. I want to knock that house down and rebuild it and build a little three bedroom, two bath house that we can Airbnb so I can have that for income. Um, my son-in-law started his own electric company. He's doing very well. He's doing very well. So I want to do, I want to work for him, kind of helping out the family business, if you will. It allows my it allows my daughter to stay home and, and bring up the three kids. He's doing very well. I'd like to help him. 
there's a lot of golf courses in Rhode Island that might want a guy to cut rough once or twice a week. So I've, I've got, I'm not going to be bored. I, I, can, I can join Green Valley Country Club where I grew up in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. I can join there again. I lost in the club championship finals two years in a row in 80 and 81. So I, I still got that sticking in my craw. You're going to come back and kick their ass this time, right? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So, yeah. And uh, my father's greenhouse is still there. And, you know, uh, cannabis becomes legal in Rhode Island on, Jan on January 1st. So uh -huh. to get a license to be a grower, a caregiver grower, means the state will assign 10 people to you that have medical marijuana licenses and they have to get their cannabis from you. If they're not happy with your product, the state will assign them to somebody else and assign somebody else to you. That could be a little niche. And I've always said, if I can grow POA at a, less than an eighth of an inch, I think I can grow cannabis. There you go. <laughs> so, that, that's my plans, Pete. You think I've been thinking about it at all? <laughs> so you've got all kinds of stuff going on. Well, that's awesome. That's yeah. great. John, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Congratulations on what I consider to be a model career, uh, again, in a tough market. And, uh, you know, you've been a good friend to me. You've been a good friend to TurfNet for an awful long time. And, uh, hey, good luck growing the weed if that's where you wind up. <laughs> well, I, I, that'll be just one cog in the wheel of all the there things I have know. going. But, but, Pete, thank you. I mean, I remember when you worked for Store Tracker, we met in 87, you started TurfNet. I, I thought you were a genius. You impressed the heck out of me with starting that. It was something the industry needed, and here it is still going. What, it's going to be close to 30 years later, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember cool. when we, we roomed together in the Fort Erie for the hockey tournament. You were telling me, I think you were right going through the process of selling it. And what an interesting process that was. I love hearing about yeah, it. So yeah. Congratulations to you too, buddy. Cool. All right, thanks, John. Take care. And uh, that's another episode of uh, All Stars of Turf by Foley and Air2G2. You got a box of swag coming, John. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Okay, bye-bye.